Hi, everyone. Um, it's good to see your faces. I'm just happy to be back here. Um, my name is Lori Carlson, and I serve alongside my husband, Paul, who is one of your elders, and we are members of the um, Well Family, or Well Elder Family um, community group. I, yes, I have the privilege of um, continuing in worship by reading the word of the Lord. And um, we are going to read from 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup. After supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is the word of the Lord. That's my fault, not yours. We had like, uh, like six sermons before the sermon. I'm loving it. How are y'all? Good, good, good. Well, hey, it's good to be back here with you all. Uh, hey, we are in part two of our kind of three-week series discussing some of the elements that we do at the gathering. And uh, last week, I said that I foolishly decided to tackle two of these per week. And then I thought, wait a minute we can break this down, right? Like I ain't enslaved what I said a couple of weeks ago. So we're only doing one this week, all right? So we can actually dive into it. And the reason we're doing this series is that we've been away from the gathering and away from each other for so long. I thought it would be good to remind us on why the gathering is important and hopefully to encourage us and to spur us and to challenge us and to really nurture us back into kind of meeting and being the people of God. Now there's many elements that we could hit on in the gathering gathering that we're not, but there's a few that I was really hoping to encourage our hearts in. And so I really do hope that uh, the word is more alive this Sunday because of last week's sermon and that this, what we're doing right now is another chance to worship our God and to commune with him and that that would be true both now and in the future of the well as well, that the preaching, it would actually compel our hearts, not just towards a learning, but towards worship. And that this moment would be a chance for us to really sing out the praises of our God once again. And I hope that in a lot of ways, the singing, that it was more intimate with God this week and that what we just did and what we're going to do after uh, the sermon will be another chance for us to connect with our divine Father. And that we would realize that we are not here to receive only, but we are actually here to give our adoration and praise to God. And in giving adoration and praise, we actually receive the fullness of who he is. So everything about this gathering, it is about worship. We do not gather just to get, we gather to give to our God. And in giving God our worship, what happens is we naturally receive what our soul desires we receive the love and the, the joy and the hope and the peace that, that the Lord our God can give, the things that our souls need to survive. Remember, y'all can talk during this time too. Today we're gonna to talk about communion, all right? And so, hey, why do we eat this bread and drink this cup each Sunday? Or during our COVID-laden season, why do we eat this edible plastic and 
drink that liquid, all right? I ain't going front. I don't know what that is. It could be like tree bark and grape concentrate for all I know, okay? And why didn't we do it at the guided gatherings, right? Like, like why is this important? Why do we do this every single Sunday that we gather? Why is it actually worship to our God and edifying for us? Because remember, if everything we do is about the worship of our God, we are not just receiving, we're actually acknowledging, we're proclaiming who God is in this time. And so here's my hope. My hope is that after today, you actually long for the Lord's Supper every single Sunday, that you literally hunger for it, you, you desire to receive it more and more because communion is not just an element to be added to the gathering. In many ways, it is the pinnacle of the gathering. It's the reason why we gather together is to feast on the Lord at his table. And so I hope that this is where even today you hear God's voice most plainly and clearly and that you're able to worship and adorn God our Savior. And so here's what I wanna do. I actually wanna read the full passage that Lori just read, and I wanna get the full context of what Paul is thinking about when he's thinking about communion, writing to a local church to do communion. And so if you have your Bibles, if you haven't turned there already, 1 Corinthians 11, that's all we're going to go to today. We're not gonna jump around so you can camp out there if you have your Bibles, okay? And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, <clears throat> I want to pick it up here in verse 17. And he says this. He says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you because you come to get, when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. For there must be fractions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you for this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we uh, judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Now, Paul's hood is come, kind of coming out here a little bit, isn't it? Like he's ready to scrap. It's really clear in this text. It's like, dang, I don't know if I want to do communion, right? Like my man's is hostile in here, okay? And this should actually alert us immediately that communion is a very, very important thing that we do when we gather together. This isn't just some fun element that we add in. There's more to it than this. I mean, the dudes are dying over here, y'all. Like, what is happening in the context of all of this? Cash is dying in the middle of the altar. They ain't getting slain in the spirit. They did, all right? 
And so uh, I know that if we just read this, it could kind of be like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and let the cup slide this week, all right? But you shouldn't let it slide. It's really important. And so let's chop up this passage in part. There's really three kind of sections here. First of all, he kind of goes through up to what Lori read, where he is uh, kind of not commending them, but challenging the Corinthians because of the practice that they're doing. Now, in that context, it's really important that we understand church in first century. They met to worship and to pray and to honor and to serve, just like we do. But one of the things they also did at the church gathering was they always ate together. And so that was their way of practicing fellowship. Now, we practice fellowship as well. Ours just looks a little bit different. We don't eat when we necessarily gather, but they always added a meal into their gathering. In fact, that's still true in a lot of churches throughout the world today. In fact, even in the church I grew up in, where when I was a young boy before I knew Jesus and my dad was kind of in and out of the church, we actually went to these small black churches and you always ate afterwards. That's just what you did. So church started at 10, it ended when the Holy Spirit decided to stop moving and then you ate. All right, and so that's what happened every single week. That's what's happening here as well. So their fellowshipping, which is necessary in the gathering, we'll talk about that next week, is the importance of community. But the church in Corinth, they were doing more than just fellowshipping. They was crunking that mug, right? Like they weren't just dining on some casseroles. Some of these cats was getting drunk. Is what it says. Paul's like, look, some of y'all are smashed talking about some praise the Lord, right? I bet they had no problem speaking during the sermon, did they? (laughs) Hey, pass me more of that blood, all right? Paul, he then goes on. He gives them this strong, strong statement. He says that their gathering is not for the better, it's actually for the worse. And so quick aside real quick, okay? Just because a church is meeting does not mean what is happening there is good. Uh Uh-oh. Come on now, don't sleep on that. There are unfortunately many churches that are meeting and rather than advancing the gospel, they're actually a stain to the gospel. They're not adorning the doctrine of our God and Savior Jesus. They're not making him look beautiful. They are making him look unwanted in the way that they are gathering. And it is a hindrance to the glory of Christ, a la a lot of the American church today. When they meet, it is for the worst for individuals in our society. Don't make me get justice and mercy on y'all now, right? Just because a church is meeting does not mean that it is glorifying God. And so Paul's like, don't do this, right? He goes on to say, y'all not even eating the Lord's Supper, he says there in verse 20. It's not even the Lord's Supper that you eat. Yes, you may be breaking the bread and drinking the wine, but you are not doing communion, Just because the physical element is there does not mean that the spiritual is. Now, this is very important for us because a lot of us actually have a lot of church hurt. And I want to encourage you not to let the little C Corinthian church fool you into thinking that the big C church is weak or wicked. We are not. The big C church is still advancing the gospel, but there's a lot of little C Corinthian churches that are staining the gospel in a lot of ways. Paul's going to make me change my sermon today, right? Listen, we have to be Christ-like, not just in our speech, but in all things that we do when we gather together. And so a few quick points from us from even that first little section is that it is possible to be worshiping or, or, or to be gathering to worship, but not be worshiping the Lord, to be doing the physical, but missing the spiritual in the process. See, you could be singing, but it not be the Lord's song that you sing. And you can be eating the bread, but it not be the Lord's body that you are consuming. And you could be listening to the word, but it not be the word of God that you receive. 
It is possible to be physically present but miss the spiritual reality of what is happening. Our hearts matter in this. Unless I'm just talking to myself up in here this morning. Our hearts matter. My heart, oftentimes, it neglects the reality of what we are doing, and I miss all the spiritual nature, and I'm just physically present, and in that, I am missing Christ. I'm missing the importance of what we are doing. Worship is about giving ourselves to the Lord, and it's easy not to. It's easy to make worship about us. Like, you know, we don't want to sing loud because our voice is bad, and we're more concerned with the person next to us thinks than what the Lord our God thinks. Or we won't sing because, oh, I got a mask on, I just can't sing. I mean, I ain't trying to hate, but that's what we're going to let us stop from worshiping our God. We can be present and miss the greater reality, y'all. Unless we think that we're above the Corinthian church, all of us fall short of the glory of God. And even in the gathering, we actually see that. So the Corinthians, what they were doing was they were bringing their own meal. And when it came time for communion, some of them had nothing. And the other Corinthians, they were stingy and they wasn't sharing with anybody. And so though Jesus gave his whole body and blood and soul on the cross, they were not willing to give up any of their bread and wine. That word, who have nothing there, is actually the Greek word, have nots. They represented the urban poor and the lower class, people who couldn't provide extra for themselves to to feast with the Lord. So they had not, is what it is here. And so what does this teach us? Well, communion, in part, is actually a justice issue and the great unifier. You see, the Corinthians, they were not being generous to their brothers and sisters, lacking generous justice that the gospel proclaims that we should have. And Paul is rebuking them for this. And the reason why is that they were a bad witness to the gospel at that moment. You see, the gospel is the great unifier, Because the blood of Jesus was poured out for all of us equally, and the body of Christ, it is for all of us equally. And so whether rich or old or young or poor or male or female or black, brown or white, out there in the world there may be divisions, but in here there should be none. Because each of us are saved and we all uphold the same blood-stained banner of our Lord King Jesus. That should be our hearts and all of us and all of our righteousness is nothing. And so we all collectively say nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but his blood. And when they were withholding, they were proclaiming something different. Yeah, yeah, nothing but the blood, but also I want mine. And so one of the beautiful things about the communion is the gospel that it preaches it, it literally says that there is a unifying God that is drawing all nations to himself to make much of our King Jesus. And we all eat of the same meal showing that we are all proclaiming the same Savior that no matter where we are from, we receive the goodness of God. This is a beautiful gospel. This is actually why we didn't do it in the guided gatherings is because communion is meant to be done in community. Hence the root of that word even And when we are doing it in community, we are proclaiming, look, everybody can be saved. All of us can receive the body and the blood of Jesus. We all have value and dignity and beauty in the gospel. Y'all feel me? Okay? And so today when we do communion as a church body, I want you to look as you are eating the bread and as you are drinking the blood. I want you to look around you. And I don't want it to be weird. I want us to literally do this and look at the black man or the Asian woman or the East Texan or that young child 
who may be very different from you in outward appearances, maybe socioeconomically or generationally or whatever it may be, there may be difference. There may be people that you really have nothing in common with, and yet you realize in Christ you have everything in common with because your soul has been purchased by the same blood. Communion beautifully shows the unity amongst our diversity in the church and the Corinthians, they was jacking that up. And so you and I, we can celebrate today, each of us, whether we're a new Christian today or an old Christian, we've been walking with Christ, whether black or white, whether we say amen during the sermon or y'all just stare at me, we all washed by the same blood. (laughs) And we all can receive the goodness of Christ. Jesus saves y'all. That is what Paul is trying to highlight. And he saves not just some of us and not just those of us who were Jewish or who practiced the law or who had the material means to consume Christ. No, Jesus saves all of us. His blood is the great unifier that will one day bring a diverse bride home. That is the beauty of the broken body. Come on now. Shoot, about to start speaking in tongues in this mug, right? (laughs) Dang, praise Jesus, okay? So Paul then goes on with what Lori already read for us. And now in context again, he gives what we probably are used to hearing when we take communion. And the context of that is actually really important because Jesus, when he originally delivered this, it was at the Passover meal. Now, very quick kind of understanding about the Passover meal, there were all of these symbolic elements that reminded the people of the significance of the Exodus story. And so God's people, they were enslaved for 400 years, and God delivered them through signs and wonders and through the crossing of the Red Sea. And Passover was the uh, plague of the death of the firstborn. It was the last uh, miracle that God did. Those who trusted in God, they would sacrifice the lamb and they would put the blood of the lamb on their doorpost and death passed them over and after that they were released from slavery. And Jesus, he's doing this meal to communicate something profound to us, y'all. Because in this meal, what would happen is there would be three pieces of bread And there would be three separate pieces of bread that would be separated, but they would be put into a akkad, is what it's called. I'm not speaking in tongues, that's Hebrew, okay? And in the akkad, that's literally the Hebrew word for one. And they would put these three pieces into this one little covering, and they would place it into the basket. Three, yet one. Now, the first piece you would never touch throughout the whole Seder dinner You would never look at it, touch it, or use it. It was as if you knew it was there, but you couldn't really see it. And the third piece, you would actually eat all the way throughout the meal because it empowered the whole meal. The second piece, though, you would take it and you would break it. And what you would do when you broke it is you would actually hide half of it. And so the second piece is taken, is broken in half. Half of it is hidden, buried, to be found later in the meal, resurrected, Now, the Jews, they had all this symbolism, but they didn't know what it meant. They had no idea what it was pointing to. And if your heart isn't worshiping a little bit right now, you're missing what's going on. Come on now. Because God, in his divine love for the people, was pointing them forward to something greater. And Jesus, at the Passover, the night that he was betrayed, he took the second piece of bread, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body. Man, oh man, oh man. In fact, the president of the Passover, the person who was kind of reading or leading the Passover, which is what Jesus would have done, they would always read this when they broke it. They would say, this is the bread of affliction, 
which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Let all who are hungry come and eat. And Jesus, in the most, um, I, I don't have English words to say, right? The most beautiful, the most majestic, the most awesome way, took the bread and said, this is the bread of affliction. Let all who are hungry come and eat. It is my body. And if you know the biblical narrative, you know what Jesus is doing here is profound. Because all of that, the Passover meal, the the breaking of the bread, the hiding the bread, the never touching or seeing the first piece, all of this is pointing to me, is what Jesus says. I am the bread. I was shattered that you might be fixed. I will be broken that you might be made whole. My life is laid out for you, and if your life is broke, you can find wholeness in me because I will lay down my life for you. This beautiful gospel message, my, my, my. It keeps going, though, y'all, because at the Passover meal, it was set in a very specific order, and so the participants, they were meant to relive the drama in Egypt If you've ever been to a Seder meal, you actually know this. They were meant to be there with them, to participate with them in that, to say this was a real historical event that happened for me, is what the Seder meal was meant to do, that it involves me. That's why you eat bitter herbs during it, because you remember your slavery is what they were doing. It involves me. I was there. I partook. This was for me as well. The same is true with communion. I remember, is what we are saying, I was there. It is my sin that put Jesus on the tree. I watched him get crucified. I was the one that said, crucify him. I was the one that delivered him, but in that deliverance, he willingly went to the cross, and if I believe in him, then I receive mercy. I receive him, I was there, this is me, this is my story, this is not just something that happened 2,000 years ago, this is something that's happening right now. In the gathering, Jesus is for me. Communion is an invitation into the throne room of grace and into Calgary and Golgotha every single week that you remember the cleansing that is yours in Christ. Hallelujah, thank you Jesus. He cleanses, he saves, he willingly lays it down for you. Tony Evans, a a pastor and a biblical scholar and commentator, he says this. He says, remembering is not just recalling. The Lord's Supper offers a uniquely beautiful time of spiritual intimacy with the Lord in the same way that physical intimacy in marriage serves as a special time of intimacy between a couple. This is why we are encouraged to partake of communion as often as possible. It is a special sharing with Christ beyond the normal relationship, enabling access to heaven at a deeper level. And so this isn't just intellectual remembering, it is experiential remembering. We are receiving Christ in this moment because at the Passover we say, either the lamb dies or I do. And at communion we say, either the lamb dies or I do. But because the lamb has died, then I can live forever in him. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. (laughs) Passover, it brings me into your presence. This meal should be the sweetest meal that you eat all week. It should be what you hunger and thirst for, to remember the righteousness that is yours in Christ. This is why Paul says we proclaim Christ's death, 
We're not just receiving, we're actually worshiping in this moment. We are thanking God, we are preaching about God or proclaiming about God and who he is because in communion, each participant proclaims or preaches in the breaking of the bread, Christ died. And in the, in the eating of the bread, Christ died for me. And I receive this gift. I, I consume of him. In fact, we evangelistically proclaim to the world, you can be saved if you believe in Jesus. And we triumphantly proclaim over Satan in the demonic realm, you have been defeated already. And we proclaim to one another, remember what Christ has done for you. The Lord's body for you, is what we say. It is a proclamation ceremony. Y'all, when you're doing communion, you're worshiping God. You're remembering him for who he is. And so why did God set this up? Why was this a, 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 a continual thing? I would argue even in the text, a weekly thing. When you gather, he says, it's because we're a forgetful people. You see, we forget the benefits and the joy and the beauty and the truth of the gospel. And so literally, because we forget this, we need the body and blood of Christ each week. And we pinnacle at communion to remember the gospel that exonerates our souls. It delivers us and it frees us. Notice the emphasis on Christ here. It says, you're remembering him. Do this in remembrance of me, he says. Not do this in remembrance of the fulfilled scriptures, right? Not do this in remembrance of the Passover or of the miracles that I did. Not do this in remembrance of you and your sin. Do this in remembrance of me. This is really, really important because that means that this is a worship act for our soul to worship and honor and proclaim him as Savior and Lord and God. Jesus is inviting you week after week into his house with his people to dine with him, to dine on him and to remember your salvation and we should remember it, family of God. Let communion be the greatest meal that you eat each week. I don't know, I, look, I'm gonna start speaking in tongues for real because mm -hmm. Paul finishes this section and he says, hey, take this seriously therefore, right? Examine yourself is what he says because cats are out here getting sick and dying, <laughs> right? And so you sure you wanna drink that juice? You sure you're trying to get drunk over here, Corinthian church? All right, what, what is happening here? Well, there's two things, okay? And the first one, I'm just gonna state this very, very plainly, and we can chat about it in the future if you want. You can holler at me at the church or something. But in the West, we tend to separate the spiritual from the physical far too much. So we think that sex is just a physical act when all throughout the scripture, we realize that it's a spiritual act as well. Or we think that gathering is just a physical act when all throughout the scripture it proclaims it is not just physical, it is spiritual as well. And modern uh, philosophy and psychology and anthropological studies would confirm this, that we're not just a body over here and then our souls kind of over here, that there is this oneness, that the body and the soul and all of this matters. It is why our next series, we're actually really gonna slow down because a lot of us haven't processed what happened over this past year. And so we're wondering why we're having anxiety attacks and, and panic attacks and why there's this emotional churn in our hearts and some of us are afraid to be around each other or afraid of the future or some of us are frustrated and the emotion of anger is, is welling up because we just wanna run ahead, we wanna go. 
And all of this is because the spiritual really, or the physical really is impacting the spiritual. The emotional really is impacting your physical body and we just kind of divorce them in the West for whatever reason. More on this in the next couple of weeks, but we wanna go to Christ who is the still waters to revive us and to look for our souls. In fact, my encouragement to us as a church family is that if you're ready to run, let's do it. Let's run to those who God has entrusted to us and shepherd them. The people in our church family who needs to be rebuilt back up, let's run there so that we can run on mission later. Let us slow down that we may speed up. Let us slow down that we may build up because the spiritual and the emotional and the physical, it impacts each other. And so the same is true here. They're forsaking these spiritual elements and they're suffering physically because of it. Just like Ananias and Sapphira who lied and then died, right? This is what's happening here. And so don't think when you get sick, it's a demon attacking you, okay? (laughs) However, don't think that it's not either. For whatever reason, we've divorced these in the West. I don't know why, but they're more connected than our American theology would tell us. You see, oftentimes when I'm emotionally depressed, it really is a spiritual attack, even because of evil or even because of my own sin. Other times, I just need to take a nap, (laughs) y'all. Right? The spiritual impacts the emotional, impacts the physical, and vice versa. So they hear the the physical uh, elements that they are doing, they're dying because they're profaning the body and blood of Christ. They're proclaiming with their mouth that they crucified Christ by the consumption of the elements, but their lives are not under his mercy. And so they're reasonable for his death because of their sin, but they're not receiving the grace of forgiveness by submission to the son, and so judgment is happening to them. The physical is impacting the spiritual. Y'all tracking with me? That's one thing that's happening here. And so you cannot take communion when you are in sin. Meaning, you should never be able to take communion. And yet we take it every week. Why, right? Why why do we do this week after week? Do we hate y'all? We're just trying to make the bodies hit the flow? No, right? We test ourselves as a Christian, and when we test ourselves as Christians, do not miss me, you are not condemned. Why is this? Because at communion, you are invited into a relationship with Christ again. You are invited into his presence again. When you test yourself, you realize that you do not have much to give. What you bring to the throne room of Christ is filthy rags only, and yet you need someone else to save you, and that someone else came, and he has. Christ has delivered you. Christ is the great unifier of our soul, which stops it from death because he died on our behalf. Come on now, we better start worshiping the Lord. Do you believe this, y'all? Do you realize this? Communion is an invitation week after week to recommune with Christ again so that no matter how wicked we were or how selfish we were or how detached from Christ we were on Friday, we can come in here on Sunday and receive the forgiveness and mercy of Christ that we might walk by his power on Monday, y'all. That's what's happening. And so for you who came in, in sin, guess what? Christ's blood. 
And for you who came in in self-righteousness, you ain't self-righteous. There is no righteousness in you. You need the blood of Jesus. All of us are under the same bloodstained banner, so it unifies us because we are all sinners in need of his grace. And the grace of God was given. And so we test ourselves and say, if I believe in Jesus, then I am cleansed. We can receive the blood of Jesus. We proclaim that we are not perfect, but in the eating of his body, we are perfect. Because our perfection extends outside of us. It is by the blood of Jesus that we are saved. Because of the death of Christ, it is no longer our righteousness who dwells inside of us. And so if you have confessed Jesus as Lord, and if you have received him as Lord, then when you take of the body and the blood, you are proclaiming, yes, I know that my sins have killed Jesus. Yes, I know that I deserve death. But yes, God gives me life in Christ. Come on, y'all. Is this good news for you? You see, communion is not a condemnation ceremony. It is not a worthlessness ceremony. It is a ceremonial proclamation of the forgiveness found in our resurrected Messiah. When we commune, it is not about us. And that's what the Corinthians were doing. They were making it about them and about these feasts and about these meals. And Paul's saying, you're profaning the whole thing. This thing is about Jesus and who he is. And we could be tempted to do this too because though we may not be withholding a meal from somebody, we may not take the Lord's Supper because we feel like, oh, I'm not clean. Is it the Lord's Supper or your supper that you're eating? Because if it's your supper, you're right, you're not clean. If it's the Lord's Supper, y'all, you are clean. Are you preaching that to your soul right now? You are clean. The body of Jesus for you. When you remember him, you are cleansed, y'all. Do you believe this? Does it move in you? Because that's what it's meant to do. And week after week, we come in and we say, yo, this world is hard, is it not? Like, like literally, there is sin all around me and even sin within me. I mean, isn't that true this week, y'all? Like another black man that gets killed and another teenager, a 13-year-old that gets killed and another cop that gets killed and another school shooting and the J&J vaccines that we don't know what's going on now. Are we ever gonna be out of this mess and failed political promises? And we literally rolled up in here with an active shooter, y'all. That's what we came into church with today. And this world is hard. It is all around us. The clarity of sin is louder and louder in our lives. With this meal, it proclaims that there is forgiveness and restoration in Christ. He is yours and you are his if you believe in him. And so, yea, though this world may crush my body and my spirit, though we may feel weary, ultimately we will not die if we believe in Jesus. You see, Christ, it was crushed so that one day we may fly away to be with him. Oh, glory, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I will fly away. 
I will be with him because Jesus was the only one who ate the bread and who drank the cup in a truly worthy manner. You see, none of us are worthy of the body and the blood of Jesus. He was the spotless lamb, and yet here comes Jesus. He died and was crucified in the most unworthy of manners as if he was the greatest sinner. Why? So that you and I who have no worthiness in ourselves and the world as it crushes us, we might receive this Jesus. And if you're tired of hearing that, you don't understand the gospel. You need Jesus, and he's yours. And you don't got to work for it, and you don't got to strive and earn it. That's why this meal is remembered in the most simplistic of way. You just eat. (laughs) A very natural thing. It's so that you remember it ain't your work, it's his Because the wrath of sin consumes him. Now we, when we consume him, we can be cleansed, renewed. His body was broken, that ours would be whole. And so come to the table, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and he will give you rest. Hallelujah. He will give you rest. Let this be the pinnacle meal every week. Amen.